Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So it's been an exciting uh, couple days in the precious metals markets, and I want to do an update on this recent price action as well as the topics or the, the reasons for this big move up. Now, I want to start off with the price itself and then get into the major factors, namely the Fed, the economy, and tensions surrounding this, this Iran business. But before I get to that, I want to give you guys a bit of a price update. So as you can see here on this chart, gold currently is trading uh, north of 1385, broken through its kind of key resistance range of 1350 to 1360. So this is about the highest it's been dating back to oh, maybe 2014, 2013. You know, it really depends on what maybe some of the, the daily highs were in, during this time right here as well as the summer of 2016. But basically, we're talking about uh, through the key resistance level. And knocking on the door of 1400. Now, what happens with Iran uh, tomorrow, today, over the weekend, I think is going to be key in, in deciding whether or not it busts through 1400 and, and, and onward, or if it's going to find some resistance there or maybe consolidate a bit, maybe closer to 1350 or 1360, which I think very well could prove to be a, a uh, support level. You know, that's often the case when, when a, a resistance level is broken through, it, it may become a support level. So I want to give you this, this big picture outlook right here on gold just to show you how high it is as of right now. Obviously, silver still lacking behind quite a bit. Gold silver ratio remains something like 90 to 1. Talked about in the past. That doesn't worry me. That's, if anything, uh, uh, another reason for me to buy silver at this point. So I do believe that ratio is, is far too high and then it will come down. Uh, but if we do look shorter term here, you can see it's just been very strong movement in the last couple of days on the back of the Fed announcement yesterday, as well as Iranian tensions. And this is, I mean, I talked about this uh, prior to it happening that, that, you know, after that Fed conference yesterday, we saw gold. In fact, you could probably see it here on a one day chart. You saw gold spike up, uh, maybe not right at that point, probably right around in this range. And it was trading there in that between 1350 and 1360, maybe this was the announcement right here, either way. And it just kind of moved up and down. Like you could tell there was a lot of resistance, a lot of, of movement. In fact, if I added volume to this chart, I'm not going to figure it out right now how to add that, what button it is. But um, I would expect to see a lot of volume around here. Uh, but ultimately, gold did win out. And, and I see that as very encouraging, breaking through that. And it's probably because there was a ton of traders that had a lot of sell orders and or buy orders in this range right here. And that's probably why you see such a big move up once it busts through 1360, all the way up as high as uh, 1385, and then earlier today, as high as 1390. So it's very encouraging. And silver, for the most part, has been following suit. Silver actually trading... Uh, uh, north of $15.45, which doesn't sound like a lot, but still, it's a big move. I mean, you know, prior to the Fed meeting, we were talking, you know, under $15 an ounce. So that's that's encouraging for silver as well. Now, what's next, you might be asking. I mean, like I said, there could be some consolidation. Now, if things in Iran heat up over the next 24, 48, 72 hours, 96 hours, whatever, over the weekend, then yeah, over 1400 is is absolutely possible, right? If the U.S. launches an airstrike or if, you know, there's some, some further escalation, another uh, tanker attack or something, then yeah, uh, that's the reality we're looking at because of, of just how volatile the situation is. More on that later. Otherwise, uh, yeah, we could see some consolidation, but it's busted through the resistance level. And, and I, I have no doubt that it's most likely going to close above it today, 
probably will tomorrow and and that's you know that's uh that's a game i mean it's 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 won the battle i guess to to bust through that key resistance level and and i see uh th- this kind of marking the the confirmation of the next bull market for silver and gold now what's affecting this i want to start with a fed now the fed came out in their meeting and they did not cut interest rates yesterday they did not cut their fed funds rate however what they signaled was interest rate interest rate cuts ahead uh, probably in the next meeting the july meeting uh, which will come at the end of july uh, potentially more after that in fact they released a dot plot which everybody just loves so what this is right here is in the gray here these were their projections going back to their march meeting this is where the different members of the Fed saw interest rates where they should be in, you know, at this point in 2019, late 2019, uh, in, in 2020, and on and on and on. The blue dots, which as a whole, uh, the, the mean or the median or whatever are, is much lower, those are where they feel they should be now, right? What's changed since then? I mean, the bond market has, many people have been saying, have been steering the Fed policy trade uh the trade deal kind of fell through for the time being etc but basically if you look at the red line versus the gray line which is kind of the uh, uh looks like the median or the mean value um it's gone down basically saying that most fed members expect at least a rate cut by the end of the year i think it's eight expect by by the end of the year or by you know early 2020 uh, but then over the long term they they still are way overly optimistic that somehow that small rate cut will will boost the economy again and everything will be fine again and that they can continue their their uh, rate hiking maybe up to 2.5 2.6 uh, sorry 2.5 uh 2.75 or 3% you know some people are very optimistic here and that's uh no that's that's i i am highly doubtful of anything beyond you know what they're showing right here in terms of their projection highly doubtful of it so what what I guess what I read in this is that yes, they're more dovish, but I, I think they're underestimating just how dovish they will have to be. All right, I think they're expecting that that maybe this is because the bond market is pricing this in, therefore they should cut, or uh, they, they need to to weaken the dollar some. Maybe it's a bit of pressure from from Donald Trump to just do a rate cut or two. Uh, but as many people pointed out, you know, the first rate cut by the Fed is a very good indicator of a recession. I think there's been one, no, two times, I think, in the post-World War II era that a rate cut hasn't been preceded by a, a, a recession, as well as more rate cuts, right? And and another thing is is there's also the stock market. I mean, you have to consider that, that as of right now, the S&P 500 is trading at something like all-time highs, or right around their all-time high, which is crazy. To, to think that the Fed is considering cutting rates at this time. I mean, it's it, it kind of flies in the face of the whole the Fed is is beholden to the stock market. I mean, it, it is. They don't want these good times to end. But really, like, considering a rate cut at all-time highs. Well, there's also the aspect of, hey, we don't want the total, you know, the, the whole economy to go through a total collapse or a total uh, uh, depression because of too tight of monetary policy or because of a too strong of a dollar. Now, this is another chart I wanted to show you that many people have been pointing out. What you see here in the black is the S&P 500, which as you can see, after its its you know dip, after that whole trade talks kind of falling through and whatnot, has basically found its new high again. Over here in this, this orangish color is the U.S. 10-year yield. Now, what you see is... is <laughs> Dating back to its high 
for the you know for the cycle or whatever here in 2018 of, of around 3.2%, 3.24 I think might have been the high. It's it's been dropping actually as I speak right now it's below 2%. Now what that means is higher bond prices, money flown into bonds, safe haven buying and yet the stock market is at all-time highs. This is very unusual. Right? There's going to be people saying that this is normal. No, no. This is unusual. I mean, you see it here. When the stock market's dropping in the second half of 2018, you see how much rates dropped over that period. Meaning prices went up for bonds because money was moving into bonds. Now explain this. It makes sense for rates to drop when uh, the, the market was dropping there through, through the beginning of June. But since then, it's been recovering and yet rates have continued to drop. One of these is right and one of these is wrong in their outlook on the economy. Not to say that bonds by any means should be trading at 2%. I think it's it's ridiculous, a 10-year treasury at 2%. There's, given the inflationary risk over that time span. But that that's a whole other topic. The point of this is that the bond market's pricing in uh, economic uh, uh, troubles ahead, a recession, a, a drop-off in the stock market. The stock market is pricing in more and more, if not good economic times, at least more uh, stimulus. Right, but but I think the rate cuts is not going to be enough. Right, a couple of rate cuts is not going to be enough to to keep the economy going. Never mind what the stock market is doing. That's the other aspect of this. I said earlier, you know, the big three drivers of of gold and and all of this is the economy, the Fed, and Iran. I think many people are underestimating just how bad this next recession very well could be, and and how quickly it could get started within the next six to twelve months. Right, it, it went. I mean, name a single recession in which the Fed was was able to get out of it by cutting rates like a quarter percentage point or half percentage point. No, I mean, if this is half as bad as I'll remind you to get out of the Great Recession, you know, ten ish years ago, the Fed had to cut their rates from like five percent to zero plus quantitative easing. Meaning, if we only have a recession and half as bad as that, that's still cutting rates to zero plus. QE and I, and I think it could be just as bad, if not worse, right? And so, if anything, that's encouraging for gold and and for people wondering, you know, is this it for gold? Like in the sense that are they pricing in a rate cut or two? Well, uh, yes, the Fed may do some preemptive easing, a rate cut or two or three or four by the end of the year. But but we know ultimately that in this next recession, which probably will begin in the next twelve months, the rates are going to have to go to zero. Right, and quantitative easing will start again, and that is not at all being priced in, especially given the fact that those things likely will not have an end in sight. QE infinity, right? Or or some variation thereof, or or zero or negative interest rate policy forever, as far as the eye can see. And that is not being priced in right now. In fact, another thing I wanted to show you regarding gold is how it's priced in in other uh, markets right now. So what I'll do, I'll see if I can bring it up here. Uh, maybe I'll bring it up with XAU. Uh, is how it's been doing in other currencies. And you don't see it super well here. In fact, maybe I need to get rid of that other one. But but this is it in the Australian dollar. I'll get rid of this pop-up. Which over a one-day chart looks, okay, not that, that impressive. But if you look over a five-year chart, um, we're talking about all-time highs in the Australian dollar. Gold is doing very well in the Australian. I mean, look at this. Over 2,000 Australian dollars, right? 
And you'll see this in many other currencies as well, I'm sure, that, that have been struggling as of late for my, for my uh, viewers north of the border. Right, we can look at it in the Canadian dollar. Same thing. I mean, we're looking at basically all-time highs or pretty close to that, 1,831 Canadian dollars. Right, that's um, That goes to show you just maybe how much dollar weakness hasn't been priced in yet or, or how much is currently exists in the market. Uh, but it also goes to show you that you know, how well gold performs in some of these other currencies as well. Now, the final thing I wanted to talk about, and I, and I saved it for last because it's maybe the most fluid of these situations, is Iran. Now, the the big escalation in the last 24 hours is that last night, here in the United States at least, we got word that the Iranians there, what is it, IRCG, had, uh, I forget what the acronym stands for, Iranian Revolutionary Guard, had shot down a U.S. drone, RQ-4 uh, drone, which is a, a surveillance drone. It was unarmed, obviously unmanned. Now, it, it, kind of a classic, he said, she said, where where Iran is saying that it was over their waters, or even potentially over their territory. It's unclear, to me at least. But, but it was in their territory. They had the right to shoot that down, which, I mean, if that's the case, then yeah, I get where they're coming from. I mean, maybe they knew it was an RQ-4 drone, maybe not, but but it shouldn't matter if it was armed or not. I mean, in, when when tensions are what they are, I, I get where the Iranians are coming from. Um, but if it wasn't, then then obviously that's a big problem. And, and of course, U.S. is saying that, no, it was over international waters in the Hormuz Strait and that they actually launched that missile from quite a ways away. Now, Trump, in his response to this, is... is uh, Sorry about that. So basically, Trump has has kind of made two different statements on this. First of all, while I think uh, greeting or, or leading him out, uh, uh, the prime minister, president of uh, Canada, Justin Trudeau, uh, they were asking him about it. You know, will there be a military reaction? He said, uh, you'll soon find out, right? The public will soon find out. Also, when talking about this, he talked about how Iran had made a mistake, and, and, and he made it clear that when he said a mistake, it wasn't him necessarily saying, like, you've made a big mistake, like, you're messing with the wrong guys here. More so, what he was saying was he, he's wondering, or, you know, potentially a general or somebody in the Iranian army or their, their uh, revolutionary guard had actually made a mistake. They had done something that they weren't clear to do. That it was an intentional shooting down, it sounds like, but maybe they weren't following their orders, right? Now, maybe there's something in, in U.S. intelligence that is telling him that, right? Maybe that's the case. And, and if so, then great. I mean, that's, that's going to relieve the tensions. It could just be Trump trying to give the Iranians a way out. And and somehow I don't see the Iranians backing down. We'll see. But it, somehow I don't see the Iranians come out and saying, you know, right after last night, the, the Revolutionary Guard saying they had shot it down, them coming out saying, well, yeah, it was a mistake. Uh, it was a, a rogue member of our military. We shouldn't have done that. Let's talk. That That's not kind of the trajectory of the situation as of right now. And so I wonder if Trump was simply saying that to give them another chance to, to do just that. And if they do come out on Twitter or, or somewhere else, some other news outlet, and say that, no, this was intentional, we don't take that back, uh, you were violating our airspace, etc. Well, basically, I, I wonder, so I'll go back to gold to, to give you my thinking here. 
over the one day chart here, you see this spike up above you know, 1390 briefly and then back down. And I wonder if that was partly because of these Trump statements. But then he said, you know, basically, I'm going to maybe give them a way out. So maybe there's a mistake that was made. And if the Iranians ultimately come out and say, no, this wasn't a mistake, this was intentional, then A, I think that's going to send gold much higher again. Um, and B, that is going to make this weekend a very interesting weekend to watch over in the Persian Gulf to, to see what happens, right? I would rule out, I wouldn't rule out anything at this point, right? Uh, there was talk recently, somebody was talking about, you know, are we on the brink of war with Iran? And, and, and I forget what news program this was. And somebody came out and they said, no, we're not. I mean, this, the, the buildup in the region is nothing like it was prior to the first and second uh, Gulf War with, with Iraq. And to, to that, I would say, yeah, somewhat true, right? Now, the, the truth of the matter is that we have a ton of assets in the region as it is, probably as a carryover from the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, which is ongoing, and uh, the conflict in Syria, right? I mean, how many bases do we have there? Not to mention the carrier strike group and some other uh, uh, ships that are in the region, as well as some recently placed assets in the region, including, uh, I think it was a, a B-52 bomber wing. Uh, there was um, two different announcements. Uh, the, the latest one was 1,000 troops to the region. The last one was, the one before that was 1,000 or 1,500 or something like that to the region. In addition to the many troops that we already have in the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, you know, Kuwait, some other countries, now, I, I don't know how much they can divert from, from a place like Afghanistan or, or Iraq or Syria to, to Iran at this point, you know, if, if a full-scale war, war were to break out. But I don't think that we should just assume that, well, if, if we're going to go to war with Iran, it's going to look exactly like Iraq in the sense that we're going to create some sort of a land invasion, right? It very well could start out similar to what we saw, you know, a year or two ago regarding Syria and the U.S. Uh, coalition attack on, on Syria at that time, which consisted largely of cruise missiles. Now, it may not be cruise missiles. Some could be cruise missiles. Some could be you know, uh, airplanes or whatever, <laughs> airplanes, jets or, or bombers or whatever. But something that starts as a, a mild, um, relatively mild strike to, to show that we mean business. Somehow I don't see Iran backing down from something like that, though. Syria obviously was was unable to defend against the whole, you know, the full might of the U.S. military. Uh, and Russia was not going to give them a whole lot of help because they didn't want to escalate the situation. But but with Iran, uh, to, to see some of those missiles or even aircraft shot at or shot down, um, I think that's absolutely a possibility. And it could escalate very quickly, especially when you have other players in the region that, that have a motive to maybe start a war, whether it's Saudi Arabia or... Uh, Israel, right? They, they could be, you know, they could be the catalyst. Israel could could carry out a strike. They've done it in the past. Uh, Saudi Arabia could could get something started, and and that could could further raise these tensions. But but what I'm saying here is that we don't we shouldn't assume that this is going to start out as as like an Iraq style invasion. I, I don't think we have the assets in place unless you know the U.S. has done a very good job of of secretly moving them in place. We don't have that type of a buildup in the Middle East, right? But but to start this as some sort of an aerial 
bombardment and, and trade attacks like that is very possible. Um, and very quickly, I think you would see a couple things take place. I mean, I, I forget who it was. It was Michael Snyder or who it was over on Zero Hedge writing a, a, a blog post that was shared on Zero Hedge. They're talking about the cost of a war with Iran and, and, and how a lot of Americans just don't understand that this is not the same as Iraq. So right away, I think what we would see is, A, Iran would strike back. That could be in a couple different ways. They could cripple trade through their Hormuz Strait, which could, could send the global economy, the U.S. economy, reeling because of what that would do to the oil markets. I mean, the Strait would probably shut down for much of the war, right? Unless they had you know escorts to the region, which, are, again, are risky. Because the other thing that Iran might do is use their ship-to-ship uh, uh, -ship or, or land-to-ship uh, cruise missiles to, to strike U.S. assets, uh, destroyers in the region, even you know the carrier strike group. That would I mean, send a message if they were to do something like that. Uh, but in addition, I think you would also potentially see, as, as kind of the, the early escalation periods, you would see uh, tensions rise in Yemen, the Houthi rebels and whatnot, maybe launching more missiles towards uh, key Saudi uh, uh, forces and, and whatnot uh, towards cities like Riyadh and whatnot over in Israel. And in that area, you could see strikes from, from Hezbollah, which is, is sort of a proxy of Iran. Hezbollah, which is a very well-organized and actually surprisingly strong uh, uh, military force, which actually has been pretty influential in the, uh, I guess, the success of the Assad army in this, this ongoing civil war, very well-trained. Um, you could see strikes coming from, from Lebanon, Towards Israel, or or you know similar attacks like that, and and you know you could you know what's the next stage after that if we don't go to a full blown land invasion? Well, uh, Iran they they may not have the best tanks, the best fighter jets, the best uh, naval assets, etc., but they do have a lot of of weapons that they can use in a I don't want to call it asymmetric, but but they can find ways to beat us in in different ways or or at least inflict damage, and so you have things like many, many submarines, small submarines that the, the Iranians have in their inventory that they can use to attack U.S. assets or, or again, uh, just, just uh, cargo ships or, or tankers moving through the Strait of Hormuz. They have quite an arsenal of medium-range uh, ballistic missiles. Nuclear-tipped or not, those, you know, they can, they can carry a payload and they can be used on you know, Israeli targets, Saudi Arabian targets, U.S. targets in the region. In addition, you know, he even brought up what I saw as maybe the most sobering something I hadn't even thought about is, is Hezbollah agents in the United States and, and the havoc that they could wreak um, in, in a very short period of time if they were to conduct uh, uh, you know, military or terrorist operations in the United States. Now, I don't know how much Hezbollah is, is geared towards you know, traditional Al-Qaeda-type terrorism or ISIS-type terrorism, but, but again, you know, sabotage or whatever it might be, uh, that's, that's another asset that they have. I mean, they have quite a bit of proxy forces. So uh, would the U.S. win in a war with Iran? I mean, most likely, yes. But, but Iranians, I think, can make his pay for it. And, and maybe worst case scenario would be, you know, if, if Russia or China uh, were to, to get drawn into this and then we're looking at a potential World War III situation. But, you know, the, the reasons for gold to go up in that, in that type of situation where the Iranian uh, uh, tensions flare up, it's, it's very understandable, right? This, this certainly smells different than it has in the past. 
uh, I think because of the fact that Iran may not have, now some people have said they do, but may not have nuclear weapons makes it a little bit different from the North Korean situation, especially since since they aren't on the doorstep of China uh, or Russia necessarily. Yeah, this is, um, this is something to watch over the weekend, uh, especially how Iran reacts to, to Trump's statement about this being a mistake and whether or not we see more escalation, whether it's attacks on tankers by the U.S. or by, or sorry, by Iran or by, you know, some sort of false flag attack by the Saudis or Israelis or U.S. or whatever, uh, or if we see, uh, you know, further escalation in, in U.S.-Iranian, you know, military forces. We'll see. It'll be very interesting to watch over the next uh, couple of days. I hope this cools down. You know, as, as interesting as war is to me, it is tragic, right? We're talking about loss of life, loss of standard of living, loss of quality of life, loss of limbs, loss of innocence. Um, it, it, it is tragic. I mean, look at what it has done to places like Syria, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Afghanistan, uh, Sudan, um, and so many other countries just over the last, you know, five plus years. It's tragic, and yet that may be the situation that we're heading towards. And, and I hope that that there are, you know, I saw recently, I think there are, you know, quote-unquote good guys that are steering the president and the U.S. away from this war. I saw Tucker Carlson, right, the guy over on Fox News was, you know, counseling Trump to, to not get involved in this war. But but for every Tucker Carlson, there's a John Bolton or a Mike Pompeo that is beating the war drum. So we'll see where this heads. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.